Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As we are discussing over the course of these next few weeks this idea that, that God has acted against all odds, against any probability that we could ever have imagined to do wonderful things in our lives, today we'll marvel that once again God has made us his own sons and daughters, part of his family. That's an amazing status, if you think about it, to be part of God's family. And I thought about that word status this week quite a bit because I think we'd all have to admit that status is one of those things that's fairly important in our world. Maybe we could even go so far as to say our country is sometimes obsessed with status. Think about how important it is to have the right label on your clothing or just the right size television in your just the right amount of square foot home, or to have the right accessories, a nice watch, or carry the, per the perfect handbag, drive the right car, right? Wear the correct shoes. So many things in this world that give us status. So I wondered to myself, how, how am I doing? How are my status symbols measuring up in the world? And I didn't know what category to put myself in, but this is what I came up with. The suburban dad. So here are the symbols that I supposedly supposed to have, the status symbols that show that I really have made it. The kegerator. Don't have that one. The big green egg. I have a grill, but not a big green egg. The Yeti cooler. Don't have one of those. No Peloton, no swimming pool, no big SUV, and no boat. I got a long ways to go to catch up. And I'm not mocking or belittling those things. God gives great blessings to people in this life, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying those blessings. But could we, could we say this? That people spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money on status symbols that last only for this life. That's why God's word today in 1 John chapter 3 is so important to hear. Because we have a status that's far more important than anything any symbol in this life could ever give us. It's a status that makes a difference, not just for a few years here on earth, but for an eternity in heaven. It's the status that God gives you and me through our Savior Jesus. And that's the truth we want to take from these couple verses from 1 John chapter 3 today. That we are part of God's family, part of his family. That is a very special status that God has given us, and it carries with it some very special blessings. Will you listen with me again to John's amazing words in chapter 3, verse 1? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The Apostle John wrote this epistle, this letter, to Christians who lived in the area of Asia, and he wrote it as sort of like a father to his children. John was probably in his 90s when he wrote this letter, and he speaks in very endearing terms, calling sons and daughters, calling them his children. Because all John wanted and all God wanted is for people to understand that even while their faith was under attack, they could be confident in their salvation. They could be confident in the status that God had given them. And so John begins chapter 3 with a pretty neat word in the original Greek language. 
See is how our English translation renders it. Sometimes maybe you've heard it as the word behold. It's this surprise. It's this idea that something that you would not expect has happened. Maybe some of our college students out there have received a care package that you didn't expect from someone. It's kind of a surprise, but a really neat surprise, right? Look, look at what somebody sent me. Or maybe others of you have gotten things in the mail that you didn't expect. That's the kind of surprise that John is describing here. Look, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That word really speaks volumes, doesn't it? Of the depth, of the richness of God's love that it's been lavished on us, given to us in extreme measure. And then when we consider that we are by nature hostile to God, we are by nature God's enemies, it makes it all the more amazing that he calls us his children. But I love that one little phrase, maybe you caught it as I read through it, that is what we are. You are children of God. That's what God calls you. Through what Christ has done for you, through his redeeming work, you have the calm assurance that whatever else comes in this life, you have that status before God. That's his love for you. That's how deep his love goes. It sent Jesus to a cross. It sent your Savior to a place where he took nails in his hands and feet, had a crown of thorns pressed on his head so that God could call you and me his children. What's even more amazing about this love of God is you didn't have to meet him halfway. You didn't have to check some certain boxes, dot some I's, cross some T's, so that God would say, okay, now, now I'm ready to love that person. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the unconditional nature of God's love. It comes to you only by God's grace and his mercy. And it's that love that makes all the difference in our lives. As I was looking for this picture this week, this next one I'm gonna put on the screen, I just realized how old I really am. Who can identify who that person is on the screen? Are there some people out there that can? Do you remember Annie? This movie was from 1982. I think I was 12 or 13 years old. But if you know the story of Anna, Annie, it's been made and remade. This was the original movie. So I don't think I'm giving any spoiler alerts today. But Annie is an orphan, right? And mistreated in the orphanage in which she lives until Daddy Warbucks comes along and brings her to live with him. But then there's trouble and they get separated for a little while. But ultimately, he adopts her and brings her into his family. The joy of her rags to riches story of going from poverty and having nothing to having not, all, not only everything that she could ever hope for, but also the love of a father is a pretty heartwarming story. And then we read 1 John chapter 3. And isn't that exactly what God is saying? He's adopted us into his family. He has given us riches, not necessarily in an earthly sense, but he's given us riches in the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus, in the life that God has promised us forever with him. That's the joy that our status gives us before God. And Paul describes in verse 2 some of the special blessings that that status 
entails. Take a look at verse 2 with me. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, we have to admit, don't we, that on the outside, just looking at the surface of things, our status before God is not seen as clearly as maybe we would like it to be. Right? As you walk out on the street, as you go shopping, as you find yourself out and about in this world, you can't always tell the difference between those who are children of God and those who aren't. And sometimes we might even say it doesn't seem to make that big of a difference in our lives either. We might even think the opposite is true. That now that I'm a child of God, it actually adds to some of the struggles that I have to face. Because I know what God wants and I strive to live up to that and the frustrations that come along with not being able to live as God wants me to. And then it goes even further. We have questions that pop up in our minds like, God really loves me. If I'm really God's child, then, then why does my life seem to be a little bit off the rails? If I'm really a child of God, then, then why the struggles? Why doesn't God just clear the path for me to have a perfectly happy life as he guides me through this life to the joy of heaven with him? I love John's words because John tells us this, that what we will be has not yet been made known. Make no mistake, he says, you are children of God. That's the status that God has given you, but you haven't fully realized the blessings that come along with being a child of God, and, and neither have I. What John's talking about is the future glory that is waiting for us, that there is a place that's so much better than anything this world has to offer because we will be with our Lord forever. That future glory is intricately tied in with the status that you have as a child of God. That's what gives you every confidence that when Jesus comes again, you will stand before him holy and blameless and you'll be ushered in to that eternal glory. Yes, Jesus is coming again. And as we wait for that coming again, we know that not everything in this life is going to demonstrate that we have all of these blessings as children of God. But did you hear what John said? That when we live in that future glory, we will be like Jesus because we'll see him face to face. The Bible is a little short on deep detail about what it means that we will be like Jesus when we enter eternal glory. But it does give us some clues. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 these verses. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For this trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Did you catch the words in there? Changed. We'll be changed. And we'll be changed in ways that are almost too wonderful to even think about or describe. From perishable bodies, bodies that, that fall apart, that don't work the way we want them to, to imperishable. From mortal to unable 
to die ever again, the immortal bodies that we will be given in heaven. That's the future glory that's waiting for us. That's how we will be like Jesus. But there's one more thing, one more special blessing that we can't skip over. We will see Jesus. We will see the one who gave himself for us. We will see our Savior. We will see the Son of God face to face in heaven. That's the joy we have waiting for us. The true joy of heaven is being together with our Lord forever. Again, as we think about that joy, it's so different from what people experience here in this life. We will stand before Jesus without fear because we will have the holiness that we need through him and sins that are washed away forever. I think about people who came face to face with God in the Bible and how they reacted. Maybe you remember Moses standing at the burning bush in Exodus 3, and as he stood at that burning bush, he was told he had to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Or Elijah at the mouth of a cave, waiting for God's presence to come by, and when that gentle whisper came by, Elijah had to, clo- had to cover his eyes with his cloak because he knew he was in the presence of God. Or think about Peter on the boat with Jesus, when the miraculous catch of fish happened and Peter all of a sudden realized, I'm in the presence of God. He asked Jesus to go away from him because he's a sinful man. That will be gone in heaven. There will be no more fear of God because we'll be face to face with the one who saved us. Think about what that means when it comes to life in this world. We all understand the pursuit of things that make life more comfortable, that make life happy and joyful. And again, it's not wrong to enjoy God's blessings in this life. But do you see how even the best status symbols in this life pale in comparison to what we have waiting for us, the future glory that's ours in heaven? And why every effort can be made to hold on to the faith that we have in Jesus to get to that end goal? Even the sufferings that we go through, even the things that frustrate us in this life, the things that seem to argue against the fact that we are God's children, even those things, Paul wrote to the Romans, aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us because we have what we need. We have salvation. We have sins that have been wiped away forever. We have a life that's waiting for us in the perfect joy and endless peace of heaven. And though we might not always feel it now, we have the status of God's children. And what's still to come, that future glory that's waiting, will be worth the wait when Jesus comes to take us to be with him forever. Here's some things I'd love for you to take home with you today after our sermon. Number one, we have the status as God's own children through faith in Jesus. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. We are all children of God through faith in Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Number two, our status means we have something great to which we look forward. To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Finally, number three, we recall our status to give us hope as we wait for Jesus. To the Romans, Paul wrote this, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, we might have encouragement and hope for our future. I don't know how you're doing as you sit there today. Maybe you've had a great day already. Maybe it's been a rough week. Maybe you could really use a pep talk. Fear not. There is a website that you can go to to find a phone number to get your very own pep talk. Have you heard about this? A grade school from California decided that they were going to have their children get together and record messages that will give you encouragement in your life. My favorite, if you dial the number and press the number three, you get a pep talk from kindergartners. And the kindergartners say things like, you can do it, don't give up, hang in there. And it's just kind of cool to hear all those voices yelling encouragement to you. Yeah, that kind of pep talk is, it's, it's a cute idea and it's kind of a neat thing to do. Can I submit to you this morning that these verses before us, especially the first verse of 1 John 3, is the greatest pep talk we could ever have. That you can say to yourself every single day as you wake up, see what great love the Father has lavished on me, that I should be called a child of God. And that's what I am. Every single day you can say that. You can hear God's words calling you his own child, part of his family, as your own personal pep talk. That's your special status. And those are the special blessings God wants you to have, not just now, but forever in eternity. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.